Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That Brooklyn Film Show. In this week's episode, we will be discussing the new release, The Woman King. And while discussing that, we will also be discussing its director, Gina Prince-Bythewood. We'll talk a little bit about does it make a difference when a director acts as both writer and director as opposed to director only, and our thoughts on her uh, old movie as well as the most recent one, The Old Guard. So again, a little bit about Gina Prince-Bythewood. Um, she's an American film director and screenwriter. She's known for directing films such as Love and Basketball, Disappearing Acts, The Secret Life of the Bees, Beyond the Lights, The Old Guard, and The Woman King. Um, so I think one of her first movies, obviously what we probably have known her for before kind of her more recent stuff is Love and Basketball, which we're going to talk about. And on Love and Basketball, she acted as both a writer and director. So Jabari, I just want to ask your opinion. Do you think it makes a difference when the director director acts as both writer and director of a movie? Do you think that um, in some ways, because I think, I know we talked about the writer of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. His name is escaping me. Charlie Kaufman before, right? And he's primarily, in most cases, if he's not directing, he's screenwriting. And I think for someone like Gina Prince-Bythewood, it's kind of opposite. If she's not directing and screenwriting, she's directing. So I wonder if you think that um, you still get the director's unique style as much when they act only as director as opposed to both writer and director. I would think that um, from my point of view that when a director is solely the director, you can get your vision out across on screen. But there is still a level of, I think, disconnect that is created when the writer, especially when it's a large writer, like, um, what's the dude's name that writes the, 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 the political films that everyone loves? Like, he wrote The West Wing and all that other stuff. Oh, um, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, like, if, you get, if you're writing an Aaron Sorkin movie, you're going to get the Aaron Sorkin feel, regardless of if you're, you know, a, a big-name director or not. Like, Aaron Sorkin movies have a very unique style like fast-paced dialogue something like the um social network or something like that where you kind of know what he's going to do versus if you're a writer director you are able to get a complete concise vision of your work like i think of people like Quentin tarantino who was known as a writer director or um i think the dude who did moonlight was like part writer in a movie right like he was um co-writer with someone else if i remember correctly I think, yeah, I think that's because it was adapted from something else. I I think that's like another thing. It's like adapted screenplay versus original screenplay. And if that makes a difference as well, because I feel like you, but with um, Barry Jenkins, I feel like you can see a lot of similarities in something like Moonlight and if Bill Street could talk and even his TV show Underground Railroad and just like terms of how things are framed and shot and everything. Um, I don't know if he wrote all three. I would have to look it up. Um, but I know he, I think, was like, he did the adapted screenplay as a like co-writer for Moonlight, at least, I believe. Yeah. So this is like an example of um, directors who have a very, you know, concise vision of what they get from the paper to screen versus when it's like, you're not the one who wrote it. You could change things. You could have a certain look. You can have a way you want the actors to act, but I think when you're the writer-director, you have the dialogue at your pace, you have the story going a specific way you want it to go, 
And for better or worse, because then you have someone like Shyamala who is a writer-director, but then his movies aren't the best. So maybe people, like, if he worked with a script that wasn't his, maybe they will be more concise than what they are now. So I think when you're a writer-director, you can be superb, but it puts a lot of weight on one person. And then you could get like a superb writer-director, or you could get a very mediocre one, but you really get a one where it's like, oh, the directing was good, but the writing was bad when it's a writer-director. Like, you might get that when it's a different writer than director or different, you know. You might go like, oh, the directing was superb, but then the script wasn't really that good. You get that when you have two different people doing two different roles and, are, you know, might be at different talent levels of their craft. Versus if it's a writer-director, you not you tend to get, like, everything about this movie was terrible or everything about this movie was superb. So, I think it makes a difference that, it, you know, most directed writer not every director wants to be a writer, not every writer wants to be a director. Two different skill sets, two different um, places in production. Like, for me, I enjoy writing more than I did enjoy directing because directing requires you to be on set for late nights, you're interacting with a lot of people while writing is a very secluded, often skill slash task that you have to do. So you definitely see a difference when I think it is a writer-director versus just a director slash and or writer. Yeah, and... I guess this can kind of be, and maybe it's like a little bit of both, but when you do have like a separate writer and director, right? And maybe it's kind of like a bigger studio. So maybe like the writer and director are, you know, not necessarily hired or one is hired after the other or something like that, right? Like whoever pitches a story, maybe it was like a big, the corporation pitched a story and then they hired a screenwriter and then they hired a director. Do you have an opinion on, I guess, which one has a bigger effect on the movie? Or do you kind of think they have like an equal effect oh, on how the movie turns out? It's always going to be the director that has the biggest effect. Because while the writer's in charge of the plot, and well, not even just in charge of, they're in charge of the script and what is said on screen. The director is in charge of how it's said, um, where certain things go in the edit. So you get, uh, I don't know if he's a writer-director, the dude that did the Elvis movie. Uh, Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, is he I a think he, I know he directed Elvis. I'm not sure if he wrote Elvis. I'm just using him as an example because he could direct someone's script and it's still going to be out of order and it's going to be very flashy and stuff like that. But then you could take a different director, say the dude that did Bohemian Rhapsody. If he directs it, it might be a little bit like more muted and more straightforward. And a very different vibe, so I think the script has less impact on what you see on screen than what the director's vision is, because they could turn it from, you know, a regular story or something that's slightly more straightforward to something that's very extravagant and over the top, or something that's very, um, you know, mellow and monotone, or something. There's just so many different flavors of what a director does, because that also includes the lighting. Who they're gonna have as a cinematographer, who the editor is gonna be, how the editing is gonna be, the engineering. There's so much to do with the movie that directors in charge of all of it. To me, it's like saying that if a soundtrack was different, would that have a bigger impact on the movie than like what the director does? It's like this is directors in charge of so much. It's like all of that encap- encapsulates his vision. That even like the way the person says it, they can be like, "Oh, don't eat my kid," or they could be like, "Don't eat my kid." Oh, that's a weird example. Yeah. <laughs> I just started thinking like a horror film. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> but 
<laughs> like, don't eat my kid. Like, it, it, it's the way it's said. <laughs> like, don't eat my kid ribbingly versus, like, don't eat my kid in terror or something. Yeah, or don't laugh. Like, oh, don't eat my kid. Like, yeah. You know, like, it's so much you could do with the, the way uh, something is said based on how it's delivered. And yeah. I guess... I guess that's, like, though, in a scenario where the director has a lot of control. And, like, we're kind of going a little bit into a different topic here. But I think it's interesting, like, looking at these three movies because I feel like Love and Basketball is so different from The Old Guard. And it's different from The Woman King as well. But I feel like I can see more of it in The Woman King than I can in The Old Guard, right? So when you have a a big studio, say, like, how Marvel will hire someone like Ryan Coogler, hire someone like Sam Raimi, hire someone like uh, Nia DaCosta, right? All of these directors that kind of are more known for their vision, but they're hired by a big studio. And I feel like now um, Disney's kind of giving directors more of a chance to kind of put themselves into movies. But how do you see that as like working into this wider, you know, machine of making a movie happen? when you're hiring a director that didn't necessarily write the screenplay and didn't necessarily like come up with the story or anything like that. And then have to answer to like big studio heads to make sure that it fits into like a wider universe of movies in terms of tone, in terms of getting you from point A to point B in the storyline. Yeah. Um, that was a big question. Um, I know. (laughs) Sorry. It's like an interview now. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not interviewing you. I was just like, these questions are coming to my head. Yeah, go to your mind as you go. <laughs> I go, yeah. And I can give my opinions as well. I don't need to be. <laughs> like, I'm not the director of these movies. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I I think that um, that's the biggest issue with Marvel, in my opinion, and why. I don't want to say I hate on their movies, but I'm not the biggest fan of the encapsulate. Like, it's fun to see, like, a, a um, cameo here, cameo there, you know excited moment here and there but i think they kind of lose the vision and slash themes of the director like black panther it wasn't this one of my favorite marvel films it was great but do i think that movie would have been much worse with a different director with the same script slash same you know you know production team and stuff not really because it's like i think more than anything the biggest one of the biggest part of that script was like the costume designer or something like that Mm-hmm. Where they play like a big role in creating like the Afrofuturistic outfits that, you know, of course he has to select who his costume designer is as director, but moments like that are going to have a bigger impact on a large studio film because studio films have to follow a formula, and I think that formula is going to overtake any vision that the director might have in particular. So maybe with the movie um, Black Panther two, whatever it's called, Wakanda Forever you might get more of a vision of what the director's feeling. Because like you said, like the um, Doctor Strange had more of a Sam Raimi film than it might not have had if it wasn't Sam Raimi directed it. Marvel seems to like be giving um, their directors a lot more freedom. Which I think personally, I mean, it's hard to say because this phase has been one of their, I guess, I guess. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know if it's really doing it good for them, but... I think, I don't know if it's a movie, I think it's more so just, you know, trying to switch it up when people are already kind of oversaturated with Marvel more than anything. But I do yeah. think it's tough to do in a studio environment. Like, even looking at some of the movies from, like, the the 1950s studio era, we remember all the great films, but a lot of the films started to feel the same because they were all made on the same MGM lot. 
same actors, same um, sets and all that stuff. Like, you could go down a million and have John Wayne films that all feel the same because they were just trying to make a formula that, like, John Wayne fights the Native American, John Wayne wins, John Wayne gets the girl. Like, same with James Bond. Like, all of them start to feel the same that no one remembers, like, specific directors from the James Bond movies because it's, like, the formulas are already so encapsulated into the film that you don't really have to think about what specific director's visions is coming across. Like, each each Bond might have a different feel, but the movies themselves start to feel kind of similar because we know the formula. So, yeah, I think yeah. with the director we're doing now, well, we're going such over large spans of time with her movies. Like, we went from 2000 to 2021. I mean, 2000... 2000 to 2019 to 2022. So there's definitely a lot of um, differences in her film. Plus, it went from like love film to to action film, I guess, to another action film, but one that has more of a cultural significance than the other. So these films definitely feel vastly different. And I can't just say like, oh, these are the same director because I don't know if she really has a theme to her stuff. Because I don't like you know, the three we see are in such different eras that it's hard to tell. But the only thing I know that definitely plays a role in her movies is music, because she definitely has a taste in music. But yeah, I think that, um, you know, to get back on track, the whole, the whole, um, what are you saying? The whole studio movie versus regular movie director, all that stuff plays a role in how the movie comes across. But at the end of the day, I think the director decision should be the one that matters the most. Yeah. Thank you for your interview. Um, we, can, we can get into the first movie now. Um, but yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think it will be interesting maybe one day to even like delve into that, you know, directors who are known, I guess, for having a strong vision versus ones who are maybe hired by studios, not because they have a strong vision, but because the studio knows that they can like create a good, competent film. And I feel like there probably are some directors like that where it's like, I'm not necessarily going out to see, you know, X, Y, and Z's film because it's X, Y, and Z versus like, I'm going to go see a Barry Jenkins film because it's Barry Jenkins or I'm going to go see an Ari Aster film because it's Ari Aster. Sure. I feel like they're like things that directors that aren't necessarily like that, but they're probably like, I'm going to see this because it's like a Disney movie or because it's this. And maybe they hire a lot of the similar directors, but they're not necessarily known for, you know, yeah. a certain vision that they tend to have or anything like that. Yep. Um, okay, but with that, we can get into the first movie, um, which I, again, like I said, I believe is um, one of her first films, if not her first film, um, Love and Basketball, which came out in 2000. And the synopsis is Monica, played by Sanaa Lathan, and Quincy, played by Omar Epps. Uh, love and play basketball together throughout many challenges from childhood to adulthood. Uh, this movie has 85% on Rotten Tomatoes and 70% on Metacritic, and it is widely considered like a black classic film. Um, I've seen this film, I wouldn't say many times before, but I have seen it like a handful of times before. This was your first time watching it. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess I'll ask you like your opinion first before going into mine. Um, I mean, it was definitely not a bad directed film. I think the actors did their job to come across how they came up. I think the bigger issue with the film is the script more than the directing, because um, 
the directing was good. Like, I didn't have any issues with the actors. I thought Sonalikin was actually really good in the film. Um, I thought the father was really good. Um, Omar Epps, he was okay. Like, I didn't really think he stood out or anything, but all the actors did their job, which is the main job of the director is to make sure the actors come across as intended. But I think the biggest issue was the script because it was kind of, um, I think it didn't give the characters enough agency. Or maybe I say it didn't give them enough agency. I think it gave them the wrong agency. And the message that it kind of was trying to come across that, you know, love will, love will, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Conquer. Love will conquer over time. And it's like, they made her just so dependent that it was almost sickening to me that I'm like, at points in the film, I'm sitting there looking at her and it's like, your life will continue without this man. But she was willing to throw everything aside for him. And I'm it, like, if I didn't see this movie, I definitely would have, I wouldn't have thought it was a woman director. Because male directors tend to make the female characters completely dependent on the male character's agency. And I feel like in this movie, he continued to show her that I will continue my life on without you. While she would continue to show him, I need you in order to continue to do the things that I want to do. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's the vision of the director, the vision of the writer, but it was just something to me that I wouldn't like exactly be like, oh yeah, this is a great story. It's kind of like, this is kind of a really toxic story. And I kind of just, dis- I just like, I, like, I liked Monica for what she was at the time. Like I know with 2000, you know, culturally we were in a different place than we are now. But watching it from my current 22 cultural point of view, I don't know if she would have been written the same way now that she was back then. As in, you know, oh, I can't play basketball because we, um, I lost my love of the game because we're not together. Like, that's just completely a terrible message to put out. Like, you're living your best life in Spain, but the only thing you can think about is this man while you're living your dream. Like, that's terrible. Okay. I agree with some of what you said. I definitely think that I was talking to a friend and I was like a lot of like the movies of the early 2000s, but specifically like a lot of the black classics, like Waiting to Exhale, all of these movies were brown sugar, like very toxic examples of like romantic relationships, like half the time either. And I feel like it was kind of throughout rom-coms, even outside of like, um, the black community or romance movies, but like either both parties um, or at least one of them were in a relationship with someone else. And it's like, okay, so we're condoning cheating. Um, the woman was very dependent on the man, like you mentioned, like all of these things. So yeah, Quincy didn't treat her very well. Um, and I feel like what was happening with his father was very, like he had very valid reasons to be upset But also, is it like, is she supposed to throw away her scholarship to miss curfew to comfort you? And then the one moment she doesn't comfort you, you're like, all right, cool. Let me go find some other girl to like, you know, take your place because you care too much about basketball. Although she never complained about him caring about basketball. Um, uh, The fact that she was like, let me play for your heart again. And he was like, okay, let me actually play you know, dunk on you and all. I'm like, it's over at this point. Like, I don't want you anymore. He was in a toxic relationship either, which was the worst part. Like, he was engaged to the Tyra Banks character. We don't know her, though. We, I mean, it could have been toxic, but they just didn't really... Well, I mean, like, it didn't... Like, they didn't, they didn't give the, the audience enough reasons to root against that relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, y'all been 
y'all were childhood best friends. When I mean childhood, y'all were childhood friends. So uh-huh. together, it's like that's not enough of a reason to root for this couple. It's yeah. Like, in turn, he treated her like crap. Like you said, when they were in um, when they were in college, and she missed his um, she couldn't be there when his father like. You found out that your father cheated. Like, come on, man, you weren't shot. Like, I get that it's tough, but the way he reacted to everything in that situation, I thought he was over exaggerating a little bit personally. Yeah, and the one thing I try to remember, like watching it back now, is that they were supposed to be like very young. Yeah. So they're like eighteen. I feel like eighteen year olds don't necessarily aren't always the most emotionally, you know, mature people. So they don't make the best decision. Even five year later, they're like what. 22 23 so they're still young um i feel like it doesn't excuse like a lot of their behavior but it's kind of it's like okay they were young so they were making some stupid decisions um i also feel like though like i feel like the whole thing with her coming back from spain made sense right i feel like they shouldn't have it shouldn't have been that it was only him that made her come back from Spain. Cause when she was explaining it, I think to her mother, she, or to him, even when they were in the hospital, she was like, I was alone. I had no friends, no family, no anything. That's a valid reason to want to leave a foreign country because you don't have anyone. If you made like a proper go of it, right? Like being lonely isn't fun, but at the same time, they ended up making it be like, I don't want to play basketball because you weren't a part of it anymore. Although she had been playing for five whole years without him being a part of it. So it was like, what all of a sudden, made it change so that um this is no longer fun for you yeah no i get like i get some of the motivations i personally think that um the movie was built on her only being able to find happiness when they're together so Mm. i think in a better story that her being in spain would have been a more of a moment for her to celebrate that she accomplished her goal because unfortunately women basketball here is not as you know prevalent as it is for the men's basketball, so going overseas is where um, the money is. That's why Brittany Griner was in Russia, because she could get paid literally 10 times as much in Russia as she could be in the U.S., because they care a little bit more about their, you know, female athletes. So I think that the whole movie, I was just thinking about, like, what would her life be? If she like, gave it a real shot. And then on this man. And yeah. just was a little bit too much dependency, because he continued to try to do his dream, he continued to try to go for his goals without really her on, on his mind. Like, I guess they did kind of, ex, ex, um, in the very end, he kind of like, oh, I want to quit too. Because, did he say like he wanted to quit because of her? Um, it wasn't fun for him anymore, something like that? Because I remember mm-hmm. he said that he wanted to quit because it wasn't fun anymore. Then to go find out that it was because he was, um, oh yeah, because he was like, oh, I'm going to go back to school. And she was like, oh, but balls your life or something like that. So... He kind of did show a little bit of dependency in the end as well, but then it's like, after all this man put you through, he pretty much gets casted you aside at every turn. Until the very end of the movie, it was like, let me play ball for your heart. It's like, oh my god, let this man go. Mm-hmm. And after she lost, he was like, after he dunked on her. I don't know, if you dunk on me, I feel like that's a very clear sign that you don't really want me. Yeah, then he's like, no, <laughs> so you go home. It's like, this relationship is not going to work out, and... I don't know, I just felt like the like the movie is not a bad movie. It's just that the, the relationship was so toxic that I hated it. Like, even when he was at the party and she was trying to comfort him, but then he was holding against her that he didn't show up. And then his way of, like, getting her attention because she didn't show up for him as soon as on his, on his beck and call was to go on a date with another woman. 
And then he wasn't really at her games either. Like, I think the most compelling relationship in the movie was the mother-daughter one. Oh, kind of, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. It was kind of like a, um, you know, a, a, a new mindset of, of how, you know, a woman can move versus a traditional mindset of, like, her mother was like, oh, it's not that. It's like they didn't demonize the fact that her mother was a housekeeper or a homemaker or whatever you want to call it. It was kind of like, yo, I enjoy doing this. Like, I enjoy the fact that I could be there for my kids and I could make sure everything is all right. Because I think a lot of modern movies kind of make it seem like <clears throat> um, a lot of women only, like, of course, a lot of women did do that because they didn't really have a choice. But then you did have some who genuinely did enjoy doing it. So in this case, I think it was a very nuanced take. And I think even with the father, like, the whole cheating situation, I feel like they were pretty nuanced about it. And the case, like, outside of Hugh's reaction, he was kind of like, yo, like, all these women throwing themselves at me as a basketball player. I wasn't quite ready to be in a relationship or married. But then we had you young, so I just said, I'm going to step up and be the father that I want to be. Like, I feel like it was a pretty nuanced take on that whole situation. Like, yeah, he did the mistake he did, but he also was honest with some after the fact about the fact that he wasn't quite ready to be in that situation. But then it's like everything was nuanced, I think, except when it came to their yeah, relationship. Yeah, then it yeah. was like, um, oh, go with your gut, even if your gut is like pushing you in the complete opposite direction towards someone that constantly pushes you away. Mm-hmm. It's like, you gotta move on from this man. Like, there's a lot of great men out there. Just go find somebody else. Yeah, and I kind of wish, I wish, I again, I agree with you about the mother daughter relationship. I think that was like an interesting part, especially again, because they didn't demonize. The fact that the mother chose to be a homemaker was kind of like, we just, we aren't on the same page, which is fine. I like, you know, I'm happy to be a homemaker. I'm happy that for your spring dance, I got to put the pearls around your neck and be there for you. And I could have had a catering business. I could have done all that, but I chose not to because I wanted to be here with you. And maybe she like didn't do all the right things in the daughter's eyes, but she was happy with her life. And I think that was like a valid choice for the mother and but for uh Sonalathan's character um Monica that wouldn't have been what happiness was for her right I think in regards to their relationship I do wish maybe in the end it would have been I would have liked it more maybe if he it was like the reverse he came running back to her because he was the one who was always pushing her away so maybe if she found someone in Spain and you know that would have been like, okay, let's reverse. I mean, not like condone like the breaking up with your fiance two weeks before your wedding aspect of it, but like at least to show like he was actually putting in the work for her because yeah, it never really felt like he put in any work for their relationship the way she was putting in the work. He didn't show up to her games. He knew how important basketball was to her. He didn't really put like much effort into anything, but he expected her to do all of that for him, which isn't fair. It's like not, you know, fair in a relationship so I feel like if they had reversed it in the end I feel like that's maybe what would happen if it was like a modern day take on it I also feel like if it was like a modern day I mean 2000 is like not mo- not modern but you know like it's 20 years later so I feel like 22. if uh, 22 if it was like today maybe there would have been more time spent between instead of just five years between them breaking up or they probably would have had like multiple meetings in life before sure. finally ending up together where he's with someone who's not really for him. Like, mm-hmm. I know the whole, um, I know we're in a, a, a era where it's like you kind of don't demonize anyone for their particular lifestyle. So maybe he, like, like you don't got to demonize it, but maybe he's with Tyra Banks and she's just, like, interested in shopping and buying a bunch of expensive items and, you know, the vanity of the life. And he's just, like, he passes her a ball and she's like, ah, then 
you know, he's like, oh, I kind of miss Monica because she would have caught that and then roasted on me. And he's like, maybe he cuts her and she's like, not cuts her, like, you know, he, mm-hmm. he cuts at her and she's like, oh, why would you say that? It hurt my feelings. And then he's like, oh, sorry. That's what me and Monica used to joke about. Mm-hmm. Like, and he goes like, oh, I didn't know Nike made dresses when she like tries to catch a ball or something like that. Like, I feel yeah. like they stuff a little bit more from a different perspective to then be like, okay, maybe I understand why he wants to go back to Monica because they fit more for each other. But I don't think there's many moments outside of them, like in basketball where you thought like, Oh, these two are perfect for each other. Like, even when they were kids, I wasn't like, Oh, these two are perfect for each other. I'm just like, these are two friends that can play basketball together. Mm-hmm. So you kind of like, I mean, that's a whole, that's their whole time thing is that they both equally love basketball, but then at the end it kind of seemed like he doesn't love basketball or maybe he doesn't love playing basketball as much. As yeah. she loves playing, and maybe he loves the sport because I feel like you can love something without wanting to like cheap. actively. Yeah, do she it. Loved it more than him because he was like, "Oh, I wanted to do this because my father." But then after I, I stopped wanting to impress my father because of the whole situation. He didn't love it as much, but she mm-hmm. just loved it. like it was something that she loved. Yeah, so, like I just didn't feel the connection between the two of them outside of basketball. And I feel like when you build up a relationship in a movie, you need to have connections on multiple levels, not just one interest. It is called love and basketball, so yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why. All the things. Um, one thing I do want to mention, because you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, is that she makes very good music choices. Like she uses, I think it's Meshali, like throughout like um, the scene after they were at the spring dance. She uses Meshali, and then in the scene where they're she's playing for his heart, I think she either uses the same song or the same artist. I know it's the same artist for sure, but I can't remember if it's the same song. But I feel like she makes intentional song choices, and they're very good. Um, so that's one thing I would say um, I liked a lot. And then obviously, it's like a lot of '80s music because it's supposed to take place in like the '80s and early '90s, although it was made in 2000. Um, but yeah, I think her song choices are very good. I I appreciate when you have like a really good soundtrack for a movie because I feel like it elevates it yeah. a lot. I agree with that. Um, so now let's jump 20 years into the future. Obviously in between this, she had some movies such as like The Secret Life of the Bees, Beyond the Lights. Um, I think a couple other films between Love and Basketball and The Old Guard. But we're going to talk about The Old Guard because the next thing we're talking about is The Woman King. And I think the old guard is like her first foray, foyer, foray. That's all right, the word, right? All right, yeah. Yeah, foray into action films. Um, so the old guard came out in 2020. Um, it was written by Greg Rucker, and it's based off of a comic book of the same name. The synopsis is led by a warrior named Andy, played by Charlie Theron, a cur- covert group of tight knit mercenaries with a mysterious inability to die have fought to protect the mortal world for centuries. But when the team is recruited to take on an emergency mission, their extraordinary abilities are suddenly exposed. It is up to Andy and Niall, the newest soldier, played by Kiki Lane, the newest soldier to join the ranks to help the group eliminate the threat to those who seek to replicate and monetize their power by any means necessary. So you aren't a big fan of this movie. Yeah, it definitely wasn't keeping my interest. Like, it's not a bad film, like, on a technical level. I just think it feels very generic. It felt, it felt like one of those movies where it's like, it doesn't matter who the director is, you're going to get this movie. And that's where I just kind of, like, I was telling you that I just put the movie on 1.5 speed and just watched it that way. Because it was the definition of dialogue, action scene, dialogue, action scene, dialogue, action scene, and none of it was really interesting at all. Like, 
Charlize Theron. She's a pretty decent actress. It was, um, you know, I don't remember anything really of note dialogue-wise. I think it was all very, um, it was very studio-y. Like, I just kind of felt like I wanted to get this over with because it wasn't doing much to capture my interest. Like, I recently watched a movie, um, what is it called? Night Shift with Jamie Foxx, the Netflix movie. Mm-hmm. And it felt the same way. It's just like, we have money, we need to make a movie. What's the biggest actor we could get? What's the quickest book we could get done? What's going to kind of, you know, make a little bit of waves, but not really... Oh, comic books are popular. Let's just get a graphic novel that's popular and make a movie out of it. So something that you could easily make a sequel with that's not going to cost too much because there's probably like four locations in this movie. And, you know, just whip something up. And I kind of felt like that about this movie. Like, the lore could be interesting. You know, immortals who can't die, who've been through different parts of history. But the characters weren't interesting. They introduced a big bad at the very end who was just very boring. He was like a, a whack version of the DC Lex Luthor. They, um... They had, like, CIA agents and all these other people who just, I don't know how they went into a fight with the immortals and were surprised that they kept coming back to life. So it was just confusing in general to me. I really, not confusing, but I just really didn't enjoy it that much at all. Yeah, I um, kind of agree. I feel like, yeah, this kind of felt like a very generic, you know, paint-by-numbers action film. Um, I feel like you see a little bit more of her directing style within Woman King because I do feel like you could have had a lot of directors in Woman King but I don't think it could have been like just any old director right we'll talk about that when we get to it a little bit more but I feel like with this one it was kind of like yeah anyone could have made this movie I mean some people would have made it worse like she did like a good job with it but it didn't feel yeah it's it's not bad it's just unique in any way yeah it's like the definition of mid like it's just just a solid six out of ten. Like, it's a popcorn flick. Yeah, I wouldn't call it that. It's just like a. I mean, flick. Like just a dumb you sit down, you're like, oh, there's this new action movie on Netflix. Um, it's like, say, when it came out, brand new, right? Oh, yeah. you know when you're like scrolling through Netflix and you're like, okay, I'm bored of scrolling now. This movie looks kind of interesting. You watch the trailer, you're like, okay, cool. I'll watch this to probably keep my attention long enough. That's essentially what it is. It's not like a movie where you're like, I need to turn this off. It's so bad. But it's also not like, oh, this is so inca- uh, like interesting. This is so uniquely done. This is like a very cool movie. It's kind of like, yeah, it's a movie that was made um, and it does what its function is well enough. So I don't know. I feel like, yeah, you have like the, you know, they come back to life, but surprise, one of them is starting to die. And then you have a new one. Who, of course, she's like military, so of course she has all the skills needed yeah. during this very crucial time of. Um, oh, I think the hairstylist being immortal, and then throughout the whole time she's just trying to like fumble her way through everything. Yeah, it was like, nope, you have someone who's already trained. Yeah. Um, and then like you have the villain who, of course, someone's working with with the best intentions, but surprise, the villain's actually a villain. I'm like, yeah, okay, yes, a billionaire who is trying to like create immortality is not going to be a good guy. He's going to want to keep his, like, what is it, like, IP or whatever, which they would, not IP, but um, he wants to keep them so that no one else can take them and, you know, create their own super uh, medicine with them or whatever. So it's kind of like everything was kind of paint by numbers. And then the villain is just too villainy. And then he has, like, a super strong henchman who 
can't die quickly enough because he has to be like the second one to the big bad and then you get to the big bad and it's like over and you have like the um old jaded not old but well she's as old because she's like some like thousands of years old probably we don't really get a um age but you have like the jaded warrior who's like now helping the new kid who doesn't really want to be there but then mm-hmm. oh surprise i have to be here kind of thing so it's just like again very paint by numbers like i feel like you can take this story and change out the characters to anyone change out the plot location to anywhere and then kind of it would be the same thing like it's not very unique you know there was a part where they were sitting in a truck and the, the you know the, the couple the two men Mm-hmm. The guard is like, huh, is that your boyfriend? And he was like, ha, huh, you're immature. He's more than my boyfriend. He's the apple of my eye. He's the, the sunset. Yeah. I'm like, come on, man. Why are they going on three minutes about how much he loves them? Like, it just felt like they had to drag the time out because they're like, okay, movies have to hit two hours. So we're going to find a way to hit two hours no matter what the how we get there. Because mm-hmm. it was just like, why are y'all doing this? And it's just like, wanted a romance subplot and that was like the only I mean, option. I don't know. Couples in there, but it's like... Why y'all going on about how much y'all love each other while y'all being tortured in a bed? Talking mm-hmm. about, oh, I, I, as much as I love to sleep, I'm glad you're awake now. Oh, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. It's like, it, it just, just had a lot of bad moments to me. And all the yeah. film is exactly bad. Because, I mean, it takes, it takes a talented director to make a meh film. Like, it's, it's not easy making a movie. So if your movie's meh, it's like, good job. Like, it's better to be meh than it is to be bad. Unless you're making a classic bad like The Room. Oh, if, they, or if it's a fun bad. I feel like fun bad is uh, it's fun. fun. It's still bad, bad but like... Yeah. Like, those movies aren't made on purposely bad. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it takes talent to make mad. I don't think it's like a demerit on his skill as a, direct, as a director. But I think it's definitely just like... They paid I think it's, $5 million to make this movie. I'm going to make it, regardless of how, how much they got me in a, a chokehold to just make a movie. Yeah, and I feel like she got like good performances out of the actors it's just the story itself is not very interesting and if you don't have a very interesting story then it's kind of like you can try your hardest to make a very interesting film but you know it's still not going to be very interesting exactly. it could be well made and boring and i feel like that's where the screenwriter or just not even just only the screenwriter but like the overarching story comes in like maybe the screenplay or maybe the comic book it's like just not that interesting. Or maybe it's but they just wanted to make like a paint by the numbers again action film that you can release and watch on like a Friday night kind of thing. Exactly. I agree with that. Any final thoughts on the old guard before we move on to our third and final movie? Um, I might watch a YouTube video about the comic books and the lore of it and like, you know, catch up a little bit. Like if the world's interesting, I just don't think it was showed in an interesting way. Like yeah. I think it's much more interesting than it was. Like, I think about a, a show like um, The Umbrella Academy. Like, The Umbrella Academy, if it was a movie, it could be very boring. But since it's done in a pretty interesting way on Netflix where it has a lot of character, you're interested in the world. I think the story of this movie could have a lot of character, but it just, it was probably low budget. Like, low budget, get it out there, let's just put most of the money into Charlie Theron instead of the actual story. And let's just get it out there. But I'm definitely yeah. interested in, like, seeing a little bit more about the comic book to see how that plays out. Like, I want to know what happened to the girl who was thrown into the water, and I want to know how old Charlize Theron's character was. I want to know if the black girl becomes, like, a leader of the group. Like, there's things I want to know, but the movie didn't show it in an interesting way. Yeah, and I feel like I'm not... 
I'm not team take everything that is a movie and make it into a TV show because I feel like a lot of things that are like limited series TV shows can easily be movies as well. But I feel like in something, again, a case like this, um, I don't know how many issues a comic book is, but maybe it's something that would have been like an interesting, like limited series kind of show where you can then like delve more into like, why are they immortal or what effects do they have? Because they had like that whole little thing where uh, Chitowel Edgefort's character was like, you can see how she touched all these lives. Um, but it was so quickly, like, just kind of not glossed over, but just like a throwaway line. And I feel like that's something you can, like, it would be a lot more interesting in a show than it would be as, like, a throwaway line in a um, in a movie. Or even, like, the whole episode about, like, it could be a whole episode about how her friend got, became a witch or whatever. And, like, some of their adventures. And then that maybe that would be more interesting than what was presented to us. In the movie format. Accusing her of being a witch because she was immortal. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's what happened. But it's like, how did someone even find out they were immortal? Was it kind of like, oh, she's reading witch, and then they found out they were immortal? Or was it kind of like they found out they were immortal first and then started hanging them? And I was like, that's not normal. See, but they they had to get captured. That's what I'm saying. Like, if if I fell off a cliff and lived and someone saw me, I would be like, okay, well, time for me to leave this town or whatever. But I feel like they... But I feel like they were accusing women of being witches very easily, probably back in that time. Well, I mean, there was people were not doing that, and they were still being accused of being a witch. So <laughs> I'm saying it's like <laughs> you, you take a step the wrong way, <laughs> like witch. <laughs> like exactly. it probably wasn't very I'll, hard. I'll do it later. Oh, excuse me, you disobeyed me, witch. <laughs> witch, right? <laughs> Turned out a man's hand in marriage. <laughs> oh, you want to dis- uh, <laughs> witch? Um, but yeah, I feel like I agree that it could be interesting. It could have been interesting done. If the comic book is interesting also, because again, we don't know much about the comic. So maybe the comic is just like not the most interesting comic either. And it was very easy to adapt into a story like this. Um, But with that, let's go into her latest movie, um, The Woman King, uh, which came out just last week. And it was written by Maria Bello and Dan Stevens. And The Woman King is a 2022 American historical epic film about the Agoji, the all-female warrior unit that protected the West African kingdom of Dahomey during the 17th to 19th centuries. Set in the 1820s, the film stars Viola Davis as a general who trains the next generation of warriors to fight their enemies. Um, do you want to just get into the film? Do you want to talk about like any of the controversies surrounding it? or I think we should talk about the controversies last so we can kind of talk about the film first. Okay. And then get into the controversy to say whether we think they make sense or not. Okay. All right. So what were your just general thoughts on the film? Um, I definitely love this movie a lot. Like, I think that um, the story of the film was really well done. That um, it was really well paced, too. It didn't overstay its welcome. And it did also didn't feel like it was ended too fast. I think that um, it did a good job at showing me what the parts that I wanted to see while also exposing me to the things that I was, you know, you do get a little bit tired of in, you know, historical films of black people, but it wasn't overwhelming like you might get in some films. So I think overall the movie was really good. The, it's definitely her best film so far. I think that um, at, I think she's 51 now. 
that's the thing about directing is that you know you could pop off when you're 30 you could pop off when you're 60 like there's really not a time span for it so i think at 51 this movie is definitely going to help her get a lot more directing roles because it was like he said secret life of bees um what was the other one love and basketball old guard woman king and that's beyond like, the light beyond the light so that's what five films in 20 years i mean there is more than that i just named a few of like the right, she directed the other ones or she was a writer on the other ones i think maybe writer okay well as a director, producer let me see i'm pulling up her imdb now i think as a director this will get her consistent work because she did a really good job with this movie and i hope it does well in the box office um i hate to hate i hate to have to you know hope a movie makes a lot of money in order for it to be considered a good film but that's the world we live in and i, I mean hope- it exceeded its expectations at least for this weekend that's good. Which was good. So hopefully it has its like legs. I'll definitely be seeing it again. Yeah. If that, I, I didn't say how I felt about the movie yet, but that gives an indication. Yeah. I, I recommended it to a friend and they saw it and they really loved it. So I think that in general is going to do really well. Um, I don't know how... I know Rotten Tomato was doing well. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes had a 95%, so it's definitely reviewing well. It had like high audience score too, right? Uh, I didn't check the audience score, but I don't ever check audience score. <laughs> I don't trust audience score. But yeah, the audience score is 99%, which is surprising considering all the controversy around it. But like I, I think- said, the, 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 it's not always the, the most people that talk the loudest. Sometimes it's, um, there's a saying, I forget what it goes, but it's, it's not always a lot of people that make the most noise. So, I know what you're saying, yeah. I voice in a minority. So, I think overall the movie is really good. Like when we get into details about the story, um, spoiler alert, it didn't, doesn't end well. But not even not, not end the movie. The movie ends well, <laughs> but in real life the story doesn't end well. But I think that um, it was a really good film, and I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, I I think this was like it definitely exceeded my expectations. I kind of went in with lower expectations. I feel like the um, trailers and everything kind of didn't do it that much justice um so this was if we go back to the beginning of the year in my top 10 movies i want to see i know with all what i just said you wouldn't think it was but i feel like there were just not many movies this year that i will i was like super hyped for at the beginning of the year um but this was like i was just like okay i wonder what it will be um even though the trailers didn't look that interesting so i definitely went in again with lower expectations but i feel like it exceeded it in terms of like it felt like a big movie watching it. I felt like it had both like the action and although it was PG-13, it didn't feel like held back too much by that rating. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I feel like it did have like a couple of soap opera-y moments in it, but I feel like with the acting that they had or the actors that they had, the soap opera-y moments didn't feel too like weak if that makes sense yeah i feel like sometimes i don't want to ruin it because i don't want to go into spoilers but i feel like sometimes with like soap opera plot twist it can make the movie feel cheesy but when you have an actress like viola davis and then um actors like or actresses like uh i'm gonna try and say her name properly i think it's tuso Mbedu, um who played like the young Kind of character that's like the surrogate for the audience going into the agoji for the first time um you said what happened i said nawi nawi 
Yeah, and then you had um, Lashana Lynch's character, um, the one who played the not the the one with the nails, Ngozi. Um, her character, and then I'm, you're going to give me all of the names as I go through them. But um, okay. what was uh, Viola Davis's character's? Naniska. Naniska, and then her friend. <laughs> There's a lot of friends. Which one? Oh, um, Amenza. Amenza. All of those, those four actresses, um, I think they were superb in the movie. And I think the other actors, supporting actresses as well, um, who just kind of like fleshed out the rest of the um, Agoji tribe were also very good, you know? And then it was really nice to see like a movie that is really focused on and led by like dark skinned black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you don't get a lot of that. I feel like, um, like usually there where our dark skinned black women are like relegated to maybe more side or supporting characters if they're in the movie at all. So I feel like having them as the main character was really nice to see, especially where they had agency, they had heart, they had all of these things. It kind of felt like, I'm sure to me, it kind of felt like the Dora Milaje from Black Panther were inspired by them. But this is kind of like, what if you fully focused on the Dora Milaje as opposed to focusing on the Black Panther? I agree with that. No, I think that's um, some of my favorite parts of this movie. I kept telling people that I was talking to about it was the fact that we got to see Africa in a light that you don't often see it because we got to see like a city. We mm-hmm. got to see um, the African people just enjoying life like you get in other historical films. Like you might get like I was saying that um, I would love to see a movie about an African nation or an African village. Like you know how you have a movie like Troy. Or you have a movie like um, Braveheart that's about, you know, their respective cultures and stuff like that without the interference of white people. I would love to see a movie like that. Just like maybe give us... Yeah, <laughs> you don't have the interference of white people because they were white people. Well, yeah, you know what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, just, just, just their culture mm-hmm. in its most sense. Like, you know, one of the controversies about the film is that it's not completely histori- historically accurate. And not to get into the controversies yet, but it's just kind of like... 300. Like, 300 wasn't just 300 men standing guard trying to fight the villain. <laughs> like, it's, it's a lot more than that. So I'm like, the historical accuracy isn't what's important to me. It's the fact that we get a, um, a, a, a movie version of a fantastical story that we don't get to see often, and a fantastical world that we don't often get exposed to, because usually when we see African movies, it's already completely run down in post-colonization. And this movie is post-colonization, but it's like still to a point where you still have African tribes and stuff living in a in their own version of life without being completely ran out of their own land already. So mm-hmm. I think that like even looking at like the different outfits that they would wear and the dances they would do, the food that they would eat, um, I think that we saw the hairstyles specifically with the king's wives and stuff like that. Just stuff like that is interesting to see because, you know... You can see some of the influences of that in like regular African American life, be it that the director is African American, so it might not be the 100% authentic version, but it's still good to see like a, a fantastical version of a culture that you know speaks to you and is not something you can see often. So I think that's one of the things I most enjoyed about it, um, seeing them train and you know the girl going through her her version of um growth which is like going from just wanting to from someone trying to make her into a wife 
to being a warrior. Stories like that are interesting, and I think that this movie would have been really good regardless of if it had the white influence or not. Like, if it was just two tribes fighting, it still would have been just as good. Like, I feel like even the... I mean, it's not a secret that this movie has, like, a subplot of colonization and, you know, slave trade, so... I think even without that, if the movie just ended with them having a victorious battle versus the, um... Is it the Oso oh, yeah. tribe? Oh, yeah. The Oyo? The Oyo tribe. It still would have been a great film, because it's like, we still got all the character development and them talking about, you know oh, this is what it means to be a great warrior and stuff like that. I feel like the film would have been great with, even without some of the other stuff. So this movie just made me crave more. Like, I'm going to see it again because we don't have much out there like this. At least not that I know of off the top of my head. Maybe I should look more into it. But not at this quality and this level of production. Because, you know, the set the set design was amazing. Like, I don't know where they shot this movie. They could have shot in the main for all I know. But the level of design they did, like with the clay style houses that a lot of African villages use and stuff like that, but on a larger scale made me really want to crave more to see this world because it just, it was just really good to see. Yeah. I think it was actually filmed um, somewhere in Africa. Um, I feel like a South Africa was filmed in South Africa, which I feel like, yeah, you can tell that it was filmed on like a location as opposed to, a set which is also very nice i feel like a lot of movies now are filmed like on sets and then you have like things green screened in and when it's filmed on location you kind of get like a different vibe or different feel to it or it's filmed in like like you said maine and then you're like okay it works but you can kind of tell maybe like a bit of the difference between like maine and south africa and you know you can probably tell the difference between like maybe parts of south africa and uh, Benin, where the tribe would have been modern day as well, but it was nice that they filmed on location. Um, another thing is, I agree with like all of that what you're saying. I feel like I'm hoping that. So I feel like we shouldn't have to hope, you know, all these years yeah. into filmmaking. But I'm hoping that a movie like this, being successful, kind of like opens more doors for more movies like this that take place, like maybe you start adapting, um, you know, more African folklore or more African stories in mainstream media. Maybe you have like uh, some of those things that are like made, but also made with like mid to high level budgets that doesn't have like, you know, the MCU or the DCEU or some sort of universe attached to it. Cause we need more than just like Black Panther as great as it is. We need more than just that. Um, in terms of filmmaking, where we see black people represented on the screen, of you know, it has to come from Africa, and their film industry is developing really like it's developing well. Um, we're going. I mean, I'm not going to like discredit the Nigerian films. Like, yeah, they're not for an American audience, and the Nigerians love the movies. But I think that what we're looking for specifically is starting to develop. Because if you think, look at it like. We don't get a ton of Indian movies here, but in Bollywood, they are making sure that their culture, their culture is heavily represented. Mm-hmm. Or in China, they make sure that you get a ton of Chinese movies every year. Um, oh, actually, also speaking of Bollywood, have you seen this movie called RRR? It's many Bollywood movies. <laughs> you should watch this movie on Netflix. It's called RRR. It's a uh, like a three-hour movie, very long, but it's really good. Uh, I might check it out. <laughs> Well, you could watch it like over this. I know you're like low attention span, so you could watch it over like the span of a few days. But yeah, I'm too. 
I think it was very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. Keep going. Um, but yeah, I think that the the making of African history films will have to come from Africa, and as their film industry continues to develop, we will see it more. We're seeing the same thing in like um, Saudi Arabia and Mid- Middle Eastern countries, where as they start to get more money invested into their entertainment industry, they're making a lot of films that are about their history. So the history of of um, a specific people is sadly not going to come from the outside. It's going to come from the people who are making those movies. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll start to see more. Um, in the same way, like indie films like Paris, like Pop Wolf, sooner or later, it's going to be an African film pop off as an indie film because their industry is developing really fast. But because of many of the reasons that the movie shows as to why Africa is an impoverished nation in many places economically is why their entertainment industry is taking a little bit longer to pop up than some other places which haven't been hit as hard by the imperialist system in place around the world. So, Yeah, and I'm also hoping that we can um, get more movies that are like focused around like African-Americans, although this movie specifically focused around like a country in Africa, but focused around African-Americans that aren't like slavery or, yeah. you know, struggle bus films either. You said what? What a struggle bus. You know, like, oh, I'm downtrodden and oh. I'm running because I have a bucket of fried chicken in my hand. Kind of, you know, like, I want more just of us being, like, fierce people or happy or whatever. It's like, I'm here because I'm having a good time. I'm not really here because of white people having... having yeah, because even, even in this movie, although they were warriors and they were, like, <laughs> legit fighting to the death... Um, Ngozi? 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 Yeah, her character. Oh, oh, oh. Um, Naniska? Igozi, Igozi. Oh, Igozi, oh. Igozi. Her character made a point to be like, I'm here, I've been through some hardships, but she was like, I'm going to have fun with this. And you see like the love between the characters, you see like that big sister relationship, that little familial bonds build between them. And I think that's what makes the movie so much better than just like a typical action flick because I feel like it focuses a good portion of the time on building these relationships between the woman. So even to the point where you have like a romance subplot, which kind of like isn't needed that much, but you have it for a particular purpose. And then when the character makes a decision at the end, it's kind of like, I believe that she would make this decision because of the relationship building that we've seen throughout the movie, as opposed to it just being like, okay, half a scene action beat, half a scene action beat. I feel like there's like a long portion where we're not seeing a ton of fight scenes because you're just kind of building up the characters and you're getting them through this certain plot. Like, yeah, you have like a little bit of action, but it's not like, you know, like you said, like scene quip action scene quip, like kind of like that. Yeah. I agree with that. I think that um, one of my favorite things about this movie was the down moments where there wasn't much action going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I can. All right. Yeah, where there wasn't much action going on because it was just world building. Like, I'm a big sucker for world building. Like, even a movie like in shows like God of, God of War and um, shows like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, just stories where it's like a massive world. This felt like a massive world where it's like there's a lot going on. And just seeing, like, in the beginning, um, techniques because there's, like, pillow shots and stuff like that or establishing shots where they just show, like, the people running 
and her talking to the elders who's like, oh, when are you getting your wedding dress? Da 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 da. Just stuff like that helps build the world that they live in. And I really love the world that they were living in because it's like, it'll be like, you know, it was just kind of dope to see just, you know, people living their lives in a, in a way that we don't often see because, you know, just because we don't, we, because we don't get a lot of African history films, we don't get to see exactly how the people of that time were living their lives. And it was just kind of cool to see that to me. Where it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> even when they're just like showing her getting her hair braided, it's like, oh, this is an interesting take because you don't really get to see a lot of characters getting their hair braided in movies because of the fact that we don't get a lot of African movies in history. Or the fact that hair braiding existed back then and people still do it today because, you know, we're still black and we got to find ways to care for our hair. So it's like natural that you see that or you saw the girl like with the clay in her hair taking it out. It was just like a, diff- a lot of different... And then each African tribe had their own different cultures. Like I said, the girl with the clay in her hair was a different tribe than the one that we were familiar with. But they were... And their version of the story, I know it's not always, you know, history is not always the same as like a, a retelling of history, but in their version of the story, they were very accepting to people from different tribes and cultures if they were willing to, you know, show their loyalty to the new tribe. So mm-hmm. I think it was just fun to see like, you know, different tribes and the the vast the vast difference in like, say, the horse people of Africa versus the people who were more so of on foot. And they were all in West Africa. And it was just like, you know, interesting to see the different uniqueness, uniqueness, I don't know if that's a word, the differences in their cultures throughout the film. Yeah. And that was my favorite part of it. Like, that, that's the main reason I want to go back and see it again is because of those differences. And, um, yeah, like, the action was good, too. Like, the movie would be good without great action, but the great action is what takes it from, like, a really good film to a great film to me because they were able to, on top of all of that, have great action scenes, which wasn't a necessity for this film to be really good but i think when you get the the, the details right in certain things like the 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 action or the, the the moments of um you know brevity where they're just sitting there talking to each other about regular life and then the relationship between the girls like when she went back to save her friend all of that stuff played well into making this into a great film now it's not perfect because there was um some forced love interests to me where i just was like this isn't really needed but it's a little bit more forgivable because they got everything else so right. Mm-hmm. I agree with all of that. Um, I think, yes, the action was good, but it was everything else that kind of elevated it. So I feel like with good action, it would have been like a good film, but because you had um, the rest of it, like the heart of it was also very good. That's what made it like a great film. And I also think, again, Viola Davis... Uso and Beru, like Shana Lynch and then like Sheila, a team, were like very good, a very good central for women. And then again, like the rest of the Egoji were also very good. So I feel like it wasn't just them. It felt like everyone had like their own person. I mean, not, obviously not everyone, they have some extras, but like the, all the ones who got to speak kind of felt like their own characters. Even like her, um, Nawi's rivalry with like one of the, um, people I guess you can call it her cohort I don't know in her group of women trying to join the warriors you can see that they had like this frenemies kind of like we're working to like best one another but we'll also have that camaraderie at the end of the day and I feel like those are kind of things that make it feel real you know because it's kind of like you're not always in like a competition where it's um 
what's the word like a bad competition versus like healthy competition yeah. like it's not always like super negative yeah, um, yeah they definitely were um they were friendly to each other but like they would help each other like a healthy rivalry time. yeah they would they would push each other to to be better i guess in a way Mm -hmm. like you're my op but we can still help each other out when we need to because like yeah at the end of the day we're still like gonna be sisters in yeah once we're out in the field fighting these people it's not like we're gonna be against each other we're gonna be with each other i think um john boyega was good as the king he didn't have like a huge role but i feel like for what he had to do he did well he was more progressive than the last king but at the same time he was he wasn't he wasn't put on a pedestal as like this overly good person. Like he's still mm-hmm. came up as human in my opinion. But just a little yeah. bit more progressive than the last king who was like sell everybody. <laughs> he was kinda like, let's not sell everybody and let's get the woman king back in into um rotation on this on this land. Mm-hmm. They did away with the woman king, but since he believed in the two gods and the two gods were male and female, I guess, they kinda were like, We need a woman king as well and let's not just sell people. Like my own mother who was the king's mother and they still sold her it's like that's wild okay with that do you want to get into some of the controversies surrounding the film and then we can wrap up yep let's get into it okay so one of the controversies is that the film is very much not historically accurate so in i think the film took place in 1823 right or was it 32 1823 1823 the Dahomey tribe did not decide to stop selling um, slaves to the Europeans. They actually continued, I believe, well until like the 1850s or something like that. Um, I have to do a little bit more research to figure out the exact date, but they definitely continued on after that. So it's not like they were these like abolitionists kind of as they portrayed a little bit in the movie. And because of that, people are like, boycott the film where they try to get boycott the film like trending on twitter and then uh, if you went into any of like the reddit posts about it but they were like well this film isn't historically accurate so we shouldn't support it and then you have like a very low rating on like imdb and stuff as well for the users um and i like looked at it and a lot of it's the same this isn't historically accurate this is like um you know if the and that's, I feel like it's such a dark comparison. I don't even want to say it. So, um, essentially, people were like, it's not historically accurate. Um, I personally feel like, yes, it's not historically accurate. Yes, people should go into this film and watch it as what it is, which is a work of fiction based off of a real tribe, but it's still a work of fiction. Don't go into the film expecting a history lesson. But at the same time, people don't go into Braveheart expect, expecting a history lesson. People don't go into Going with the Wind expecting a history lesson. People don't go into 300 expecting a history lesson. So it feels a little bit disingenuous that this big boycott is happening, or big because it's very much failed, but this boycott is happening on a movie with a pre- pre- predominantly black and predominantly female cast. Yeah. And unfortunately, you've got a lot of black people who are talking about how this film is historically inaccurate. I mean, it isn't historically inaccurate, but they're using it as a negative not to see it. And in my opinion, it's like this movie shows so much like, like you said, it has a full black cast of black dark skinned women. 
it shows Africa in a mostly positive light. And yes, the the Dahomey tribe was not exactly, you know, you know, they weren't 100% good, but we also got to think about it in relative terms to how it was either join the slave trade or annihilation for most tribes back then. So it wasn't really much like, I guess, economic choice for most people. So I think that um, people who are just kind of looking at it is like, oh, this is 100% historically accurate. The the people are making it seem like just because it's a, a woman-led warrior tribe that we have to glorify it. It's like it's a work of fiction based on a real cool story. Like you had a tribe of, of female warriors, which you don't usually see a lot portrayed. Like it happened enough times in history that it could be portrayed more, but you don't see it portrayed often. So you had this dope tribe of female warriors who were in Africa, you know, handing it to to people left and right. Like it's a dope story. Like when you go to see Troy, you're not thinking to yourself like, oh, Achilles wasn't a real person. Troy didn't really defend da 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 da. Like you're not going into Braveheart. Oh, I'm in Braveheart. What's that movie I'm thinking of? Like Gladiator thinking, how is he gonna fight a lion? Like it's a work of fiction. So I think that when you go see the movie, if you're going with the expect like the expectations that it's a complete retelling of history that you gotta be on you and not take films as an accurate retelling of history. Like it's a movie. There's never ever gonna be a film that's not a documentary that's a reaccurate telling of history. And even a documentary is still one perspective. So you have to be careful when you take entertainment as the end-all, be-all of where you get your information from. Like, yes, you could see some things that you might not have known. You might see some um, unique ideas or unique fashion or whatever. But at the end of the day, you got to learn how to separate what is fact from what is entertainment. And I think too many people take, you know, movies to be anything more than usually what it is, which is entertainment. Like, I think that... that I don't know. I think that's a little bit of a um, confusing thing to me where people, like you said, there's so many movies, examples of like white characters who weren't heroic roles from history, but it wasn't an accurate retelling. You don't see people trying to be like, oh, let's boycott this. But it's like, all right, we, we got one. Like, let's 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 be happy that we got this one. And like, yeah, it's not 100% accurate, but do you really want to see a 100% accurate movie where it's like, like, um, what's her name? It goes, he goes to the... Um, goes to a fight, stubs her toe, and gets, like, infection and dies, like, that's not as interesting. Like, history is never as interesting as real life. Like, when you watch a movie like, um, what's that Civil War movie with Denzel Washington called? Glory. Yeah, when you watch a movie like Glory, you're not, you're not gonna see that two-thirds of the soldiers in a Civil War died from, um, um, dysentery. Like, that's not interesting. Like, nobody wants to see half the soldiers, like, just kill over and die from diarrhea. Like, you want to see the action. And this movie's about the action because history retellings of movies are about the entertainment. And I think that people need to remember that. So I think the boycott in general is a little bit silly. Like even the people that try to make their best points, I think that they are absorbing information from a place where I think they might be trying to be authentic with their message. But the sad thing about the Internet is that where people often get the information is coming from a place of malice. And a lot of the people who are sort of starting to spread the information about this being historically inaccurate, are you the usual, the usual um, culprits of trying to downplay black, black historical films? Like people have been trying to be like, oh, it's woman warriors. That means it's woke, and then that might go into another person covering and being like, this story isn't real. Then it might go to someone like authentically on black Twitter looking for information, being like, these people were slave traders. Why are we big enough people who are slave traders? It's like it goes through a lot of different filters to get to the point where it's like the person who is. Who might generally care about the historical accuracy is now 
being the mouthpiece for someone who just wanted malice because they found the movie too woke, basically. And yeah. I think that's basically what a lot of what I've seen was. It's like you had one crowd talking about this is too woke. You had another crowd talking about these are slave traders. Why are we bigging them up? But the initial, the initial mouthpiece for trying to boycott it was the same. It's too woke. Place, yeah. It's like people like not to get into the Little Mermaid movie because we could talk about that for a long time. But you had people, you know, trying to now talk about how it's scientifically inaccurate for a mermaid to be black. It's like it's scientifically inaccurate for a mermaid to exist in general. Yeah, exactly. So, like someone's like, why would they take a, a redhead? <laughs> they said. um Redheads are already a, a a a marginalized minority group. What about all the redheads out there? And someone said, you know, what's an even bigger marginalized groups? Mermaids, because they don't exist. It's like there's less of them than there is of redheads. So if you really want to be get down to it, but it's like the the talking points that people start to talk about when they are going against something comes from places of inauthenticity and malice. And I think sometimes when people are like internet internet heads a little bit too often you start to become blind to some of that and i think that's some of what happened over this boycott situation whereas people with intentional you know malice tried to to derail this film because it's showing black people in a more positive light and in order to do that they went to a place of okay it's not historically accurate that stuck and then that became what they what they continue to go with and unfortunately other people started talking about that as well I 100% agree. I feel like essentially what they, a lot of people or a lot of inauthentic resources, I guess, sources started to spread information about it not being accurate to, you know, say like Black Twitter or something. And then Black Twitter is like, oh, well, this is inaccurate, but you just get like one small tweet thread about it. So it's like, why is the woman king historically inaccurate a thread one it's this this and this and instead of like going to see the movie and kind of like forming your own opinion on it you just um listen to whatever this one thread said and you don't know if the person behind that had like malice or anything or ill intent like you said where they just don't want to see black people on screen whether or not it's in something like Little Mermaid, because then it's like, why are we race swapping? Why are we doing all of this? Or something that's completely original, albeit based off of a true story, but something that's original, like um, The Woman King. Like I saw some things where it was kind of like, I don't want to see this because why are they making dark-skinned black women look masculine on screen? And I'm like, just because she don't got like a 30-inch bust down, you know, we've <laughs> all fighting like against the warrior tribe. They don't make them masculine. Like they show their femininity. It's literally having short natural hair or having natural hair in general. Like you don't like an Instagram baddie, then you're masculine. It's like in the movie, they definitely highlighted like their femininity. Like, yes, they were, you know, fighting men and, you know, like clawing their throats out and stuff. But at the same time, they would enjoy themselves in like their little hut area. It wasn't a hut. It was more than a hut, but their little area dancing and stuff. So it wasn't like, that or it will be like they ha- has to white screenwriter, which I feel like is definitely something we can look at, but it doesn't. It did a good job for two white screenwriters. I think. Yeah, like it doesn't negate from the fact that this is a film putting that's put out that's mid budget and showing black people in like a generally 
positive light and it's well made. It is enjoyable. So I just feel like a lot of the like, I guess the word used earlier ops for this are very inauthentic and very much like they want a certain, they don't either don't want black people on screen at all, or they only want us portrayed in a very certain light. And if it doesn't fit their, us either not existing or us being existing in the light that they want us to, then they're going to say boycott, don't go see, don't support. Um, and I feel like the ones who only want us in a certain light don't realize that they're just playing into the hands of the people who don't want to see us at all by not supporting things that we get. And I'm not saying you have to support like every black thing because that, you know, goes into like the whole Queen and Slim, Tyler Perry territory where it's like, do I have to go see something black just because it's black? But also like, don't just boycott it because you saw like one tweet saying it was inaccurate. Like they do talk about the slave trade in the movie. Am I going to watch that and then say like, okay, cool. This told me all of history. No, I can also then go out and do my own additional research. But I feel like it's very disingenuous where a lot of this comes from. And to say that this movie doesn't show their feminine side means you got to be very, very unaware of the impact that society plays on you and your perception of masculinity and femininity. Because just because they were fighting doesn't mean they're not feminine. Mm -hmm. Because you can't say that fighting is solely a masculine trait. And even then, like, you can't be like, oh, their outfits were like, you know, a top with the midriff showing and then the, the, the shorter lower half, that means it's masculine. Because, I mean, I mean, that means it's feminine because then the men also had like their more like skirt style outfits where it was just like no top, more like of a, a, a loose fitted bottom and they're still masculine. Like, it's just going in with it like a, of, a, of a Western society idea of masculinity and femininity means you're just going to be completely don't know about what is considered masculine and feminine by different cultures because it's not like there's a cultural contingency of what is masculine and what is feminine. So you got to be very unaware of anything outside of your very narrow-minded point of view to consider something that you don't deem as masculine or deem as feminine to be that just because it's different than what you're expecting. Because I never, I didn't like, I didn't watch this movie and go, oh, these women are very unfeminine. Like, 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 I think the a lot of the female fighters were feminine, and in the same way that you had his wives, which, who were also feminine, but they were just more, in a different way. Yeah, in a different way because they were more um, pampered. So it's kind were, of like back to the the like love and basketball idea of like the mom versus not Lathan. Feminine. She just wasn't traditionally feminine, say the way her mom was or her sister was, but she still was like. Maybe she was like a tomboy, but she was still feminine, and she still like had her own way of you know like being feminine. Exactly. So yeah, I think that's a you know people in their their narrow point of views will often make things a little bit more not even a little bit less complicated than they should be because I know people will say sometimes things are overly complicated. It's like just because something doesn't make complete sense to you doesn't mean you have to write it off as either A or B. Like. Do some mm-hmm. research, look into it. Life's not that, you know. We got information at our fingertips now. Just look up African traditions and what's different about, you know. Hey, like the Europeans back then, they might have considered themselves more masculine when they were like wearing their heels and their powdered wigs. It doesn't mean they weren't masculine, but it was a different kind of masculine than the men who were in Africa who, you know, were a little bit more like, you know, they were a different kind of masculine than the men who were in um, the uh, Americans at the time were a little bit different kind of masculine than men who were in China. So it's just, it's not a contingency of what is and isn't masculine. Like I've been thinking about um, 
the difference between like an American R&B star versus a Korean pop star. Like mm-hmm. there's one that's like they're both considered masculine their own their own regions and traditions. So it's definitely an interesting way to look at it. That's a weird thing to tweet out. Whoever tweeted that. Yeah, I agree. I think people are weird on the internet because they can be anonymous. Yeah, that's the main part. Um, but yeah, I think controversies aside, I definitely recommend going to see The Woman King, and I definitely will be seeing it again sometime soon. Same. I plan on seeing it really soon because I definitely enjoyed the movie a lot. Yeah. Okay, any final thoughts so we can uh, wrap up this episode? Um, yeah, as a director, I think The Woman King was the movie that most made me interested in seeing more of her stuff, her most recent film. Um, I think that her artistic, her artistic style outside of her music selection is not something that I have pinpointed yet. But I continue to see more of what she does, and I might go watch her other film. I heard you, you said The Secret Life of Bees is not that good. Like, I saw it, I think, when it first came out in, like, 2000. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes isn't the end-all, be-all, but it has a 59% on there, so I'm not going in with super high expectations. Yeah, I, mean, I think I read the book as a kid, and I think when the movie came out... When did it come out? 2008, I think. Yeah, so I was still, like, pretty young. I think it came out, like, after I read the book, and I think I was unimpressed. So I think that's why I said it wasn't that good. But I haven't watched it since 2008, I don't think, so... Yeah, an unimpressed 12-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, was that yeah? I would say her other movie that I would recommend is probably um, Beyond the Lights. Okay. That's more of a romance film, though. Is it black people? Yeah. It is. It's a Google Basu Basa Raw. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I agree. I'm more interested to see more of her stuff. I hope she gets like more opportunities now. She'll probably be directing the old guard too. So I guess you can look out for that. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping she kind of gets um like this is kind of like a breakout for her. Although she's obviously had like classic hits like Love and Basketball. She hasn't done like a ton of directing between or for big films. She has done some TV shows and stuff, but for big films between. Then and now, so I'm hoping she gets yeah more opportunities to get some interesting work with the success of the Woman King, and I also hope that the Woman King has legs and is able to like succeed expectations because I really enjoyed it. It seems like the audience and everything really enjoyed it as well. So I'm hoping that yeah it it does um well for she did two episodes of um girlfriends too and a show called Cloak and, Get, Cloak and Dagger, which I heard she did one episode of that. There's some random stuff I'm looking at. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of That Brooklyn Film Show. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Send me the recording when you can.